NATO's new strategic concept, the alliance says it's facing new challenges and has decided to adopt a fundamental shift in deterrence and defense. But will this new concept work and will it make NATO countries safer? I'm Hashim Ahbarla and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyze and help define major global stories. Let's bring in our guests in Moscow. Vladimir Sotnikov, Director at Russia East-West Center for Strategic Studies and Analysis. In Brussels, Teresa Fallon is Director at the Center for Russia-Europe-Asia Studies. And in Hong Kong, Andrew Long is China Affairs Analyst and Chairman of Andrew Long International Consultants. Welcome to the program. Vladimir, the new strategic concept embraced by NATO, does it reinforce the sentiment among the Russians that NATO remains an existential threat for their country? Yes, by all means, actually. And that was the, not the Moscow choice, because NATO actually uh, is not like it was in 2010 when there was a summit uh, of NATO countries. And then uh, at that time, Russia was named as a partner. So uh, that the, uh, the, the uh, present uh, summit at Madrid to somehow could be called historic because to my mind, this is uh, evident turn to the new Cold War. And in this Cold War, actually, the West and the NATO countries are the direct and the imminent threat to Russia's security. Teresa, you get a sense in the new blueprint that the NATO that NATO is pretty much concerned not only about Russia but also about the potential of a Chinese military cooperation with Russia in the near future, and this explains why they are adding China as a security challenge for the alliance. Yes, the language is systemic challenge. And I think there was a lot of negotiation among the members on exactly what type of language to use. Some European countries have big investments in China and they don't want to see China and Russia in the same basket. But I would say that what really clinched it for many people or countries in Central and Eastern Europe, especially, was the February 4th document signed in Beijing in the run-up to the Olympics, where President Putin and uh, Xi Jinping signed an agreement or a statement with many points, but one of the key points was that they both were joined together to push back on NATO. So I think that this sent a red flag to many countries. And we've seen a lot of cooperation with Russia and China. To those who have been paying attention, it's been taking place for quite a long time. There have been three recent documents in the last few years that they signed together. Plus, we've seen Russia-China naval operations mm -hmm. or exercises in the Mediterranean, in the, the Baltics. So they've been cooperating and sending signals to Europe. Mm -hmm. Okay, Andrew, I mean, you, the, 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 the alliance has been saying unequivocally that they consider China's global ambitions as a threat to the international liberal architecture. How is this reverberating across China? Well, this is, of course, uh, nothing new uh, as far as the United States. Um, uh, 360 degree confrontation with China is concerned because we saw it. Um, starting um, with the trade war under Trump uh, and then intensified um, under President Biden, um, technology war, the South China Sea, and so on and so forth. But then at the back of it all, um, in, in fact, the near-peer competitor, there was a country uh, with near-peer capabilities in economics and in the military 
uh, in geopolitics uh, is not Russia. It's in fact China. And then uh, many think tanks in the United States and the Biden administration have said so. So um, the United States would rather um, that um, uh, get the, the war on Ukraine uh, over with, of course, on their terms, and then concentrate all they have to confront China. Because uh, China is now seen as an existential threat uh, to American hegemony. Um, mm -hmm. For example, in the South China Sea, um, I mean, you have reported that uh, China is building up its capabilities, uh, which can create, create a fake company uh, for the United States before even um, the United States had time to muscle uh, mm -hmm. enough response. And of course, China's um, connectivity, the greatest strength, it is global connectivity. 130 countries around the world have China as the largest trading partner, compared with only 57 for the United States. And then uh, in the G7, um, the United States-led um, coalition is introducing uh, this uh, G7, so-called G7 uh, okay. global infrastructural uh, projects. Mm -hmm. But then um, it's starting a little bit too little too late. All right. Vladimir, the war in Ukraine has changed dynamics in the region to the point where we're talking now about uh, geopolitical realignments. President Biden is saying that the U.S. is going to have permanent U.S. army base in Poland. I, I assume this would be a nightmare scenario for Russia. Well, actually, I would like to say that uh, this, would be, this wouldn't be, to my mind, uh, at my best knowledge, uh, uh, the nightmare scenario. Because, uh, yes, you're right, Hasha, that uh, dynamics has changed. But that because uh, this is uh, a conflict, this is a military conflict, actually, basically. And the ground realities are not just like in the military books in General Academy of uh, Military Services. So I think that Russia is ready for that. And uh, what is more important, actually, that uh, whatever the outcome of this Russia-Ukrainian uh, 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 conflict uh, could be, I think uh, I'm, 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 not, I'm not sure that in this Cold War, which is going right after the summit and which is going uh, and then uh, which will be prolonged after the finishing of the Russia-Ukrainian armed conflict, that uh, in this uh, new realities, in this new Cold War, I'm not sure that the West will be the victorious side. Not just like uh, in uh, post-Soviet Union when mm -hmm. uh, the Gorbachev declared his perestroika. All right. Uh, Teresa, if Sweden and Finland join NATO, then the, uh, the, the alliance will have a 1,300-kilometer border with uh, Russia. This could in itself be the beginning of an era of a seismic geopolitical shift that would see Russia grappling with the presence of Western troops just on the border, across the door. Let me just pick up first on the previous point mm -hmm. of my colleague who stated that this is a new Cold War. We must remember that Russia invaded Ukraine and it was an unprovoked war and it's ongoing war. And this has been going on since 2014. So I think today with President Biden's uh, speech uh, at the end of the NATO summit, he he stated that last year when he met with President Putin, he warned him that if he invaded Ukraine, that he would see a united West and a, an even bigger and stronger NATO. So that's exactly what Putin has gotten. And when you mentioned now about Sweden and Finland, we've seen a reversal of two over two centuries worth of neutrality from Sweden 
they have calculated that the situation is so dire that they need to join NATO. Finland, as you pointed out, has a long border with Russia. So they have carefully calculated and they have decided that it is far better to be with NATO than to end up like Ukraine and be invaded and have the country bombed into rubble. So I think that Russia's actions have actually created exactly what President Putin didn't want. He's got a stronger NATO. He's got 32 countries now rather than 30 mm -hmm. that somehow he must explain to his domestic audience that this special military operation has created all of this blowback on Russia. In addition, sanctions are biting in Russia. Their economy is hurting, and Europeans will never be as dependent as they are today on Russian energy. They will. It will take some time, but over the next two years, they will have to further diversify, and they will no longer be as reliant on Russian energy. So this will also hurt Russia in the longer term. And finally, China can just sit back and watch a reduced and weakened mm -hmm. Russia. This will help them very much. Uh, they have had some difficult times in their past history with Russia. So China doesn't have to do a thing. And in many respects, some analysts have said maybe Xi Jinping encouraged Russia to start this war mm -hmm. in Ukraine. And so China is actually the biggest beneficiary here. And it's carefully trying to convince everyone that it's not really supporting Russia. But as we noted earlier, these agreements have shown this. But China might be one of the biggest benefactors or beneficiaries when it comes to what happens in the future in the Arctic. This is a key area, and Russia will be diminished and weakened. And China will drive a hard bargain with Russia and may have more ability to navigate through the Arctic. Uh, Andrew. As you know, historically speaking, for the Americans, the, the first step to do if you want to counter uh, Chinese uh, uh, expansion is to go into the sphere of influence of China itself and stop it there. And don't you see the invitation of uh, it's Australia, South uh, Korea, Japan and New Zealand to the uh, Alliance Summit as a message that the focus is going to be now on the Indo-Pacific region? Well... There is a talk, of course, after the so-called court uh, with India, um, Australia. Um, uh, and then that, that comes the, the recent um, idea uh, of forming uh, a G12 of democracies, including uh, even South Korea, um, uh, to contain China. Um, now, um, I think that the one has got to distinguish between the, uh, the rhetoric or the narrative and the reality. Now, as far as the war on Ukraine is concerned, uh, there is an initial uh, Western jubilation. Uh, even we really see um, uh, President Biden and his team uh, rubbing their hands in glee uh, at the, uh, the, the, the Russia's uh, initial kind of withdrawal and, and, and failure uh, of, to achieve any progress. But now the situation is beginning uh, to sink, the realities begin to sink in. Uh, after Russia has now um, concentrated on Dubas and making steady gains. And then there is a, a fatigue setting in uh, in the West uh, as energy prices, uh, food prices increases, uh, inflation fears or even recession fears are hitting not only um, most of the countries in Europe, but also back home in the United States, affecting President Biden's midterm chances. So um, in spite of all the rhetoric, you can see that um, there is a lot of wishful thinking, a lot of uh, denial, but mm -hmm. there is no doubt that there is a game changer as far as NATO is concerned. But unfortunately, modern wars are not fought uh, by um, soldiers' uh, foots on the ground. 
I mean, you have uh, hypersonic weapons, you have missiles, you have uh, uh, cyber warfare. Uh, and of course, Russia is a huge country. It's the largest, the world's largest land mass, the largest territory, uh, well ahead of the United States. The second largest land mass uh, is Canada. Uh, the United States comes third. No country in the world in history has ever conquered Russia. I mean, not even uh, the Nazis uh, and, and, and not and earlier on, okay. not even Napoleon. Vladimir, yeah. what would be the next step for Russia? Do you see them teaming up with the Chinese along with other countries to build some sort of a counter-alliance to cope with the growing expansion of, the, of NATO eastwards? Uh, well, this is a good question, actually. I was thinking it uh, to myself, and my point is that my personal um, impression that uh, this is the moment, the crucial moment for Russian foreign policy when uh, the relationship uh, between Russia and NATO countries, and uh, more generally between Russia and the West, uh, probably has deteriorated for years to come, at least uh, uh, the new strategic concept of uh, uh, NATO summit uh, in Madrid uh, says about uh, the year of 2030, so at least 2030. So Russia actually is uh, uh, doing a lot of effort uh, uh, to um, uh, combine, uh, combine strength uh, with its partners and uh, allies like, uh, like China, because uh, China, as my colleague from Hong Kong said, that uh, there, was a, uh, there were a lot of documents uh, which were adopted jointly by uh, China and uh, Russia, though I, I, I do not agree with you that uh, uh, the most bene beneficiary site was China and that the ch Chinese leader, Xi Jinping, probably urged uh, uh, Vladimir Putin to start uh, this special military operation. I do not agree th with this completely. So, and another in the southern direction, uh, this uh, new uh, rapidly emerging uh, CSTO organization, which was, has been already existed, but now it is more strength, and uh, the, Caspian, the Caspian grouping, and also the SCO, the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, mm -hmm. because it combines China, India, Iran, actually with the population of more than 40% of the world. So this is, this is good allies of Russia, and Russia will be uh, communicating with them and will be counting on their support and will be strengthening these uh, groupings. Okay. Ter uh, Teresa, the, uh, the, the alliance, NATO itself, has been very cautious about the need to move forward towards all the region that stretches from Romania all the way to the Baltic states because they were pretty much concerned about triggering any incident that would unleash a massive military confrontation with Russia. But do you think that with the invasion of Ukraine, that was the red line that was drawn by the alliance the moment it was crossed, there was no point of return? Well, I think no one wants to see a NATO-Russia war. But the fact that there has been penetration of Swedish airspace by Russian planes, there has been some Russian drones going into Polish airspace. You know, everyone has played this down in order not to increase the threat level. But I think that what we've seen now with the new NATO security concept, that <coughs> this is a huge concern and that the only way now forward is better defense, not just deterrence, but defense. And I think that uh, this has really demonstrated that Russia is a deep concern, that hard power 
is something that you know everyone just thought we could negotiate with them, become more energy dependent on Russia, have this kind of interdependence. I think all of this strategy, I mean, the Germans called it Wandel der Handel or their mm -hmm. Ostpolitik, was really much really focused on relations with Russia. And that has proven to be uh, put on the ash heap of history. So I think that this idea that if we're nice to Russia, then Putin will be nice to us and everything will work out well, well, that's been pretty much uh, learned that that was a huge mistake. So I think the, the big question now is what is the way forward? What kind of peace exactly. can be made? I don't hear anyone even talking about that. So I think that's one of the key uh, aspects, but also looking, at the bigger geopolitical picture, no one can ignore that China will become uh, or is uh, something everyone needs to keep their eye oh, yeah. on. And this also means for the Europeans, it's not just burden sharing, it's burden shifting. The U.S. needs Europeans to spend more on their own defense so the U.S. can focus more on the Indo-Pacific. And this is something that Europeans will find difficult because we are in an inflationary period, but security should always trump politics oh, yeah. and the economics. So. I think that's the key. Takeaway. I see your point. Uh, I have a few other issues to discuss uh, with you, if you don't mind. Uh, Andrew, are we likely to see more action as far as the South and East China seas are concerned? Well, I think that you can see that the United States is now riding high, uh, at least um, um, uh, ostensibly, um, on the kind of ability to rally uh, the European Union uh, under its leadership. I mean, this has never happened before under Trump. And NATO at the time was almost moribund. But now NATO has been re-energized. But riding high on that uh, is trying to form a global uh, alliance uh, of democracies against China. So there's talk about G, uh, uh, the, uh, the G12 uh, of democracies. Mm -hmm. uh, there is also this uh, Pacific um, um, uh, infrastructure initiative. Uh, but then uh, you can see that the, uh, both China and Russia are starting to push back. Uh, um, I refer to the recent uh, BRICS uh, summit uh, the, uh, with Brazil and India um, and South Africa trying to expand uh, the BRICS uh, bloc, as it were, mm -hmm. to include um, uh, Argentina uh, and also Iran. Um, well, uh, uh, in addition to what I uh, referred earlier as the uh, Shanghai Cooperation Organization, uh, the various uh, uh, partners. So I think that we can see a growing divide between um, the West uh, uh, developed countries and okay. the developing world, as it were. But the, uh, the, the one, one, one very important point is that the developing world, according to the OECD, is going to account for 6-0% of the world's economy by the year Perfect. 2030. So you can see that the, the balance is shifting. Vladimir, in very few words, if you don't mind, do you see a potential for reconciliation between NATO mind. and Russia? Uh, you know, yes, yes. Despite the, all the horrible situation, actually, which is uh, now has come to existence uh, uh, between uh, NATO and Russia, I think uh, there are some crucial points of mutual interest which, to my mind, uh, should be present in any future relations between Russia and NATO countries. All right. This is international terrorism and this is non-proliferation of nuclear weapons. Teresa, is, the, is NATO and Europe in particular ready for scaling up military force? And uh, we, we know what comes along with this, which is basically great defence expenditure. Well, I think 
President Macron said just a couple of years ago that NATO was brain dead. So I think that NATO has come back and that when EU member states join NATO, it means that they're not really voting for EU strategic autonomy, that they prefer to be in NATO. So I think that, yes, this is going to cost money and it's going to have to be prioritized, but it's there. Germany has pledged $100 billion to strengthen their own military. So the 1989 peace dividend is clearly finished and countries will have to, in Europe especially, have to spend on their own defence. We'll have to leave it there. Teresa, Fallon, Andrew, Long and Vladimir Sotnikov, I really appreciate your insight. Thank you. That's it for the Inside Story podcast. This episode was produced by Mohammed Al-Aishi, Osama Al-Luni, Fungin Nguyen, Abbas Asim and Paul Taylor. Studio sound was by Deepak Pushkaran. The program was edited by Vishnu Schiller, Lin Wen, and Jody Frias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening. We'll be back again on Friday.